part. So I think that's the, our job is to help speakers identify those nuggets and speakers' jobs to take the complex and, and make it super applicable. Hey, Mic Drop enthusiasts, Josh Linkner here, delighted to be bringing you season two of Mic Drop. I love our conversations with speakers and industry leaders alike, so we can unpack the industry and we can all perform better. Let's get after it and get better together. Mic Drop is brought to you by Impact 11, the most diverse and inclusive community built for training and developing professional speakers to get on bigger stages at higher fees with greater impact faster. They're not just elevating an industry that we all know and love. They work with thousands of speakers to launch and scale their speaking businesses, accelerating time to success, earning tens of millions in speaking fees, landing bureau representation, securing book deals, and rising to the top of the field. To learn more about the Impact 11 community, schedule a free strategy session today by visiting impact11.com forward slash connect. That's impactelevencom forward slash connect. Ryan Heil is the president of the Washington Speakers Bureau, the largest and quite possibly the single most respected bureau on the planet. But if you dive into his resume, you'll find a whole bunch of unexpected treasures. A former player for the New York Mets and a D1 college baseball coach, Ryan also holds a doctor of philosophy. He co-authored a book entitled Choose Love, Not Fear, and has served in numerous leadership positions at Clemson University. Today, Ryan brings his depth of experience and education to one of the most powerful and admired names in the Bureau space. In our conversation, we cover a range of topics from the person in charge of writing the next chapter of WSB's story. We discuss how to embrace the future of the speaking industry without losing sight of the past, how a Bureau like WSB keeps things fresh from their strategies to their roster of speakers, and what it means to go exclusive with the Bureau and when to know if it's time to make that jump. I know you'll enjoy our free-flowing conversation examining the past, present, and future of the professional speaking business. Ryan, welcome to Mic Drop. Josh, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here and uh, excited to be in this space and uh, grateful to be invited. Well, you have had such an amazing background. Uh, as I've gotten to know you and done had a little bit of homework, you know, professional baseball player. I think you have more degrees than 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 I can even count. Uh, technically, I think you're Doctor Ryan, uh, if 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 I'm correct. And uh, and today you are the president of Washington Speakers Bureau, the largest, uh, and really probably one of the most, if not the most, respected bureaus in the world. Give us a little sense, Ryan, of how you got into this position. Then, of course, we'll talk about what's going on now. But what's the backstory? How did you go from professional athlete and, and <laughs> doctoral student to running Washington Speakers Bureau? Oh, man, it's a, it's a great question. It's a rather circuitous journey. But um, it definitely started when I was young. I grew up, um, I have to take us all the way back there. I grew up um, with a single father who uh, who was a speaker, who became a speaker as I, as I grew up. And I very much vividly remember the day that the Washington Speakers Bureau signed him because it was the day that the trajectory of my life changed pretty dramatically. Um, a lot changed, but throughout that time, I mean, it was, it was known, it was a big deal to be, to be associated with the Washington Speakers Bureau. And every summer I, you know, I'd be dragged from speech to speech to speech to speech. And, you know, we'd obviously make our way to Washington at some point. And I remember him just going, 
this is the Washington Speakers Bureau. Best behavior. Let's go. And so it was kind of like, it was known and it was always a place that I'd looked up to and respected. And, uh, you know, my journeys and my, my career take, took me a lot of different places. And, um, I did spend a lot of time in school and more time than <laughs> I thought I ever would. Uh, but grateful for the opportunities. And, um, I, you know, I've done a lot of different things and I developed a way to assess culture that hadn't been done before. I was working with a number of companies and was plotting a move back West when, um, when the Washington Speakers Bureau gave me a shout and said, hey, listen, you grew up in the industry and, you know, you know what it is. And it's very special to, you know, our place. Do you have any, any interest in being the succession plan? And I, for me, it was a no brainer to be a, to be associated and to help lead this team of remarkable people um, that has made such a traumatic impact in my life. has been it's been a, it's been a blessing that, that is, you know, that I couldn't even imagine. Well, the, the exciting thing too is not only is the, the there are very rich history, the future ahead is 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 very compelling. Um, give us a sense though about about today. So, Washington Speakers Bureau is known as uh, really the most uh, notable bureau, I think, in in many industries. If it's investment banking, there's Goldman Sachs. If there's um, uh, football, it's the Detroit Lions. No, I'm just kidding. Somebody not the Detroit Lions, but but in uh, in the world of bureaus, even though there are many wonderful bureaus, and I'm, I'm friends and partners with 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 all of them, um, WSB really stands out. I mean, you know representing former presidents and heads of state and and the, and the people at the, at the absolute top of their field. What do you think it is? What's but what's the magic been to date that has allowed WSB to to attain such a such an industry pole position? I tell you, it's um there's a lot of credit to the people that have come before us, the Harry Rhodes, the Christine Farrells, the you know, the Bernie Swains, the Tony D'Amelios, the Bob Thomases, and many of whom have, have opened their own shops, but um there are a lot of people that are presently working in this industry that have paved the way for, I think, the statement that you have made. And um, they've created an amazing organization. They've attracted amazing talent. Um, they've serviced clients in, all over the world and in incredible ways to create a reputation and, uh, and a service offering that for a long time was very much unparalleled. And, you know, I'm grateful for the impact they've made and that they've allowed our team, the opportunity to do some really special things. And so, um, it's a, there's a lot of, there were a lot of people, the Harry Rhodes and Bernie Swains and the people that have really paved the way in this industry. It's been a, it's a really special thing to be a part of. And, and it's a special tradition to carry on. And then thinking about what is that, what is the next chapter of the Washington Speakers Bureau look like? I mean, the, the, the habits and the beliefs and the artifacts that made us successful in the past probably are not going to be the ones that make us successful in the future. And so it's a really, it's a really fun time. It's a really interesting time to think about envision what that starts to look like and how do we start to operationalize that and serve our clients better and serve our speakers better. Well, that's the thing, you know, in, in any any pursuit, getting to the top is one thing, staying at the top is something else. And I really have admired your sense of humility. And I've known Christine for many years and, and many of the folks at the, at the, at the Bureau. And same type of thing, like a, a real respect for where we've been, but a real um, also, you know, again, sense of humility and, 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 and willingness to reinvent, reimagine, challenge conventional wisdom. So as you are now finding yourself leading this, you know, historic organization, how are you thinking about reinvention as the world around us continues to change? Well, I think it's uh, I think that's the I think that's the most fun part of all of this. I mean, what change is one of the only constant things in life. And um, and looking at we really have uh, taken a mantra internally to think about ourselves as very much a startup inside an established brand. And I think one of the things that 
There are no sacred cows. We challenge everything we do, you know, from event management practices to sales to sales support. Like just because we've always done it like this, should we keep doing it like this? Is there a better way to do this? Can we leverage technology? Um, and I think it's a really important thing to do that, but also not lose track of, of what got you there. And I will tell you, you know, I'm proud of our reputation and proud of how people think about us. But what I'm most proud of is the relationships and the relationships that our speakers have with, our, with the people inside of our company, the relationships that our sales agents have with our customers. Um, and I think that is at the core of everything we do. It's all about relationships, period. We do what's best for customers. We do what's best for speakers and we do what's best for the relationship. Always. So one of the things that helped WSB become so famous is representing, you know, notable luminaries, uh, George W. Bush and, you know, uh, Adam Grant these days and, and others. Um, and and they, they have a different problem than many other speakers. They are, their problem is regulating demand. There's unlimited demand for George W. Bush to speak or unlimited demand for Adam Grant or Dan Pink to speak. So in that case, you're, you're managing their calendar. You're working with a limited set of inventory. There's more demand than supply. In other cases, you, folks like me that have been around for a while, I don't have unlimited demand. And so I got to imagine that you're, you're working with one set of speakers that are trying to sort of beat demand back with a stick and another set of speakers that are trying to essentially create more demand. How do you navigate those two seemingly competingly, co competing uh, priorities among two different, very distinct groups of speakers? Yeah, I think, well, the way – it's a really interesting question. The way I think about our business is on two sides. And, you know, we've talked about this before. We have, we have our sales side, which our sales side, what we tell our agents and our agents are passionate about this is we do what's best for our customers, period. Whether that's an exclusive speaker or not, the priority is making sure that the people that come to us and trust us with their advice and trust us with their business is that we do what's best for them. And on the other side – it is to identify, attract, develop um, talent that will be the best to serve our customers and continue to keep them in demand. I think, you know, Josh, one of the things you mentioned is the size, uh, the size and the scale that we operate on, I think, is really unique in our business. And in so, in doing so, it has allowed us to really invest in data. And it gives us amazing insights into different industries, into customer behavior. It allows us to really understand our customers and what that allows us to do. And I think it's something that we've recently started doing since the pandemic and really invested in this is um, helping our speakers connect better with where customers are on a regular basis and sharing that information continually um, allowing them to, to see really where customers are, what the changing trends are, how they can connect their content to make it more relevant in customers' eyes. And that's been, that's been a really big deal for us as far as when we think about the exclusives that are on the backside of their demand curve, when we think about um, people that are on the front side of their demand curve and just building their career, it's really about, okay, how do we connect to different industries? What is the financial services industry looking for that maybe education is how is hospitality industry buying now post pandemic that might've been different prior to it? What are, you know, we think, we think about keywords in the same way, right? So resilience, resilience was, everybody was asking for resilience in 2021 and 2020. Now you, you talk to customers and like, we're not really, we're looking for something a little different. And, and it's really, you know, innovation or disruption, different name, same concept. So it's how do we keep our speakers connected? And that's uh, it's a it's a focus of us. And that's the other side of our business that if we we feel like if we do our job on that side, that 
those speakers will be a natural fit for our sales team on the other side. Okay, to follow up on that, I think about the high demand speakers and it, it, there's, a, there's a responsibility on that side as well and to communicate with our, those speakers about what the demand curve looks like and that that is, it is not forever. I mean, we're to, to have the opportunity to be associated with someone like George W. Bush and the prime ministers and all the big names. It's really, it's an honor. Um, and their demand is, is a little different than probably many others. Like Dan Pinkin and Adam Grant, the, their demand curve is, is limited. And some of the, and it's about educating them about where they are in that demand curve. How do we address fee pricing in that demand curve? Saying no to too many things, what does that do to that demand curve? And then how do we recognize when it's time to start thinking about refreshing? What, how do we recognize when we've hit the peak and now we're kind of on the backside? And so how do we start planning the next thing? And so um, we have some speakers that have done amazing jobs to continually look at that at about a once every four year type cycle of how do we continue to refresh that? That's really cool because as you continue to reinvent WSB, you're also helping speakers reinvent themselves to maintain relevancy and, and, and marketability. Um, so I was going to ask you, with, within the group of exclusives, and, and WSB is, for those that don't know, is one of, uh, you, you do both exclusive and non-exclusive relationships, of course, but, but you have a very healthy bench of exclusives. I know it's a, that's a core part of the business. Some of those exclusives are, again, those, those people who are famous people, unlimited demand type people. Uh, when Colin Powell was, was around, you know, like people like that. And then, but then you also have speakers that are not household names. As you're evaluating talent and deciding who's going to be the next WSB exclusive, what are some of the things that you look for? I think this is really important. And this is something that is evolving and changing and something that we have done a deep dive on in looking at what, what has allowed a lot of these speakers to be successful and grow and what has allowed a lot of these speakers to continue to stay successful um, and what's important, what factors are starting to important. And so it's, when we look at it, we look at it as the marketability, like who is going to pay to hear these people speak and their message. So it's, you know, what question are, is the speaker answering that the customer knows they need to answer? And how do we help connect that dot? That first and foremost, are you answering a question that the customer knows they need to answer? What is your simple message that you, you repeat over and over again? All right. Do you have platform skills? And how good are those platform skills? Do you have the ability to wow audiences? Because at the end of the day, as anybody that books speeches, you're really risk managers for these people that are like, at the end of the day, they have to be able to perform on stage. They have to be the good, right? So there's that. Then there's the other things that really play in. And that is what are speakers doing on their own for their marketing? Because there's no bureau, talent agency or not, that can be a speaker's marketing arm. Like it's just, it's too much. So we can amplify marketing. We can, we market directly to our customers. We, I mean, we market a lot, but we cannot be the whole source of their marketing. We, we do amplify that. And so if, what are speakers doing? Are they publishing regularly? Do they have a book out there? Have they, uh, do they have good video that's consistently up to date? Um, how are they staying relevant in people's minds? If they're not in big name, what are their plans to build their brand? And because if they have thought out plans, they, they may not be a big name. They may not have a big following on social, but if they have plans and they're executing on those plans and they're trying to, there's, there needs to be a path forward because that's where our customers are identifying. And that's the top of the funnel. The other thing we look at is, is looking at, are they, are people willing to do enough dates to be relevant? Because I think that's something that's really important. Um, when anybody has relationships with meeting planners and they, we start going through the buying process, 
and you start selling them, the worst thing that can happen is you're well aware is you get all the way down to the bottom and you go, oh, we love Josh. And, you know, we go and, you know, we've done a day check and whatnot. And John, I don't really know. You get a no, you get a decline. You don't want to do it. They want to be, you have to have people that want to say yes. You have to have people that are easy to do business with. Um, and, yeah, I mean, those are the major factors. If they're connected to people that are on our roster, they're, you know, kind of projectability do they have? Those are other questions we answer. But it's really a weighted. What is their marketability? Who's going to pay them to hear them speech? What customers are they asking? Platform skills, marketing skills. Yeah, it's really interesting, and you know, I'm not surprised by most of those. Um, the one I would love to double click on, though, is the notion of of um, the speaker needing to also be involved in their own demand gen. You know, the the myth I think that that some speakers have is, I'm signed with the Washington Speakers Bureau. I'll just sit back and let the you know the offers roll in, and my and I'm now absolved of all responsibility to create demand for myself. And of course, we know that is that is a, a deep myth. Um, where have you seen it best? Where there's an intersection, as you said, you you accelerate demand rather than just purely creating it alone. Can you show me an example of where a speaker has been effective at, at helping to contribute to that equation? Yes. No, no, no. There's um, there's several of them. Um, we have an AI speaker who's a university uh, a professor named Ethan Mollick. And Ethan is one of the world's experts in AI. In fact, OpenAI would love to have him be more affiliated, but he's, he's really committed to his academic integrity and, and whatnot. But he does one of the best he does one of the best jobs in the field of connecting how to simplify AI, how to understand it, how to use it with tactical, real advice. Um, but he's one that there are a lot of really smart professors like Ethan are out there, but Ethan has taken his social media following in the last 12 months and grown it a hundred thousand people. He has a made a newsletter list of 50,000 people. And so when you have, when you're out there pitching people and they're producing stuff on their own and you can reference it, you can link to it. It provides social proof. It really takes someone who's not a huge name, who may be a big name in his field of AI, Ethan Mollett, but not wide to have him go financial services need hospitality needs it. Everybody wants to hear him because he has a message that everybody needs to learn about, very applicable, but he's doing the work out there to help get the buyers excited, to help get the audience members excited, and to show them the value that he's going to bring in the talk that he's going to bring. And and so if we can exam if we can amplify that, if we can piggyback on it, we'll repost him, we'll talk about the messages, we'll connect it to sales things, we'll put it in um, our sales proposals. There's there's a million ways in which we take content like that and people that are doing that and engage it into our processes and leverage it. But it is it is very much there's very much a, a, an element of potentiation that happens when speakers are active in that. So you're talking about him specifically. <clears throat> you said something there that I wanted to, to, to explore. I've long believed that it's, of course, you have to be an expert in something to be a speaker, clearly. But if you want to really be at the top of the game, in addition to being an expert, you need to be a simplifier. And, and what you mentioned about your AI expert there is that he's able to take these complex uh, ideas and make them understandable, palatable, and simple. And I think when, when I look at some of the most prolific speakers. I mean, um, uh, Simon Sinek, Start With Why, you know, it took a com concept that, by the way, wasn't even that new, but it made it simple and, un and, and easy to understand. My friend Mel Robbins' five-second rule, again, not even a net new concept, but now, now she packaged it in a way that's easy to understand. To what extent are you seeing a correlation in a speaker's success, not only based on their depth of and body of work and their expertise, but their ability to simplify their message so people can uh, understand it and ultimately buy it? 
I think it's imperative. It's everything. I mean, it's human nature. We crave simplicity and we crave, crave predictability and stability. And, um, the best, the best orders in the world are the people that can take the, the complex, make it simple and make it applicable to the audience. And, um, you know, there's one speaker that we have that has a mantra. He goes, <laughs> he, what do you say? He said, uh, just get three things, repeat them over and over and over again. And that's the secret to being a great speaker. Um, you know, probably a little bit oversimplified, but it is true. And I think when you think of the, even just the academicians in, in our field, Josh, that have had the biggest impact in the speaking space. I mean, the two, the big, two of the bigger ones that come to mind, Jim Collins and Adam Grant. And I think those are the two that have crossed this scholar practitioner divide almost better than anybody else. And they do it and they make, they take these complicated things and they make them super simple and they make them understandable. They make them digestible. And I think, I think that's why you see a lot of, a lot of customers gravitating towards people that have real boots on the ground experience because they are looking for the simple, the applicable, the, what can I take home from this weekend or from this speech that I can start to implement tomorrow to make a positive impact in my life and the people's lives around me. I think it's what, what, what people are looking for. And so I think that's the, our job is to help speakers identify those nuggets and speakers jobs to take the complex and, and make it super applicable. Becoming a keynote speaker is an amazing profession. The top performers earn millions while driving massive impact for audiences around the world. But the quest to speaking glory can be a slow route with many obstacles that can knock even the best speakers out of the game. If you're serious about growing your speaking business, the seasoned pros at Impact 11 can help. From crafting your ideal positioning to optimizing your marketing effectiveness to perfecting your expertise and stage skills. As the only speaker training and development community run by current high-level speakers at the top of the field, they'll boost your probability of success and help you get there faster. That's why nearly every major speaker bureau endorses and actively participates in Impact 11. The Impact 11 community provides you unparalleled access to the people, relationships, coaching, and accountability that compresses your time to success. To learn more about the Impact 11 community, schedule a free strategy session today by visiting impact11.com forward slash connect. That's impactelevencom forward slash connect. Back on the notion of, of exclusive relationships, because I know many people listening are are, are exploring different alternative uh, routes to market. And, and there, it, I wouldn't say anyone's right or wrong. It's, it's, you know, what's the right fit for an individual speaker. You talked about some of the examples of when it might be the time to be an exclusive. Why don't you be, you've obviously already got a good chunk of demand. You are doing a lot of these things. You, you develop some momentum in the business, et cetera. When, when do you think it's bad advice to become exclusive? In other words, when should someone perhaps, uh, it's not a criticism on exclusivity, but when is it better in, in a speaker's situation to say, you know, now's not the right time. Why don't you stay independent? That's a great question. I think, I think there's, I think early, early on in people's careers, it probably until they make a name for themselves, until they create carve out a space for themselves as they're still kind of, Finding who they are as a speaker, I think it's important to work with a lot of different groups and get yourself out there as much as possible. I think you, I don't, you know this better than me in this space by a lot, and that is you can't replace the reps, right? The reps you get out there are invaluable, um, and that's really important. And one of the things that I've noticed, and, and really we've learned a lot 
along this journey of exclusivity is that, you know, in the the 90s when people wanted to be exclusive, it was a pretty simple offering. White glove service, event management, you know, were, were the best, come play. And it was great. And we'd sell them and we had a catalog and the internet didn't exist and it was easy. I mean, it, it's got a little more complicated now and there's a lot more factors involved with this now. And I will tell you, talking to speakers, you'll have the demands and depends the needs and why they want to be exclusive are really varied and different. And so it's our job is as, as, as the stewards of their speaking career is to help meet those needs, whether it's, Hey, listen, I'm a solid speaker now, but I would love a coach and a mentor to help take me my platform skills to the next level. Hey, you know what? I read one book a few years ago. I got another one. I just want, can you connect me with publishers? Can you help me with it? Can you connect me with the people who can help them? My digital presence. I mean, it's the, the needs and asks are varied. And so I think when you look at as simple as being a back office, if, if, if your career is getting to the point where, you know what? I have to make a decision where I have to hire a back office or maybe I can leverage the Washington speakers bureau to be my back office where I don't have to worry about the complications of being a really employee, having employees. So I think what I would, where I would advise people not to is if they are still working to develop their own content, their product, their niche, um, and when they start to get a little bit of momentum, when they start to feel it, then looking for the opportunity that's right for them, the people that work with the right customer bases that are right for them, and they're going to meet their needs because every place is a little different. Every offering is a little different. Um, you know, I, I think that we have a lot of competitors in the space and some of them offer really great offerings as well. When you think about change, like, so you, you mentioned your dad was in the industry and lots changed since he was, you know, do, doing those dates when you were growing up and, and even a lot has changed over those last several years with, with COVID and new technology and such. What do you think has changed about the exclusive speaker relationship? I'll, I'll say that the biggest objection historically has been, well, if I am exclusive with WSB, then Kepler and leading authorities and Premier are never going to sell me. And I, I cut, cut off other, other bureaus. We know, of course, that not to be true, but maybe you can elaborate on that particular objection and other objections that, that maybe people misunderstand and, and they ought to be in an exclusive relationship, but they're, for, for whatever reason, afraid or misunderstand that situation. Oh, I think it's a, yeah, it's really interesting. Like I mentioned, this exclusive dynamic has changed radically and continues to evolve. Like, and what that looks like, and what offerings are more valued than not, and what types of speakers need different things as well. I think that one of the things that we found very important is really looking at this industry as a whole, looking at our bureau partners, looking at our agency partners, and going, "There's a he's a huge pie out here." How do we do best for our speakers? And so for a while, exclusivity meant cutting ac- cutting exposure off, cutting access off, right? We launched something last year we're calling like a bureau partnership program where we talked to our exclusives and said, listen, our, our responsibility is to bring you as many offers as exist out there. And what is that going to look like and take? That's going to look like, you know, rather than just splitting our commission as we normally do with all these parent bureaus, that means potentially giving up a little bit more, but we're going to offer that to our parent bureau to provide the same opportunity that we have internally with our customers to not disincentivize them to come book us so that we can leverage everybody's sales teams to bring you as many offers as we can, because, you know, our, when we're working with end customers, they're the most important things. When we're working with when speakers entrust their careers with us, which is really how we see this when they decide to go exclusive is we have to do everything in our power. 
Now, as a skipper, you can choose to accept that or not, but it was provided to you and you have the opportunity. And so I think exclusivity is changing and looking differently. I don't know where it's going to land. And I think it's, I think we have a pretty good idea of some, some things, but I think it's really up in the air. It certainly isn't going to be what it used to be. It certainly will be more. How do we, how do we, how do we best serve our clients and our speakers in different ways? I want to ask you, Ryan, I know you're, you're very philosophical and, and as is evidenced by your, your numerous degrees and, and, and inquisitive mind, where do you think things are headed? I mean, no, none of us have a crystal ball, but if you and I are sitting down having a chat five years from now, what are some of the thoughts that you've had on, on how the industry, both from the speaker perspective and the bureau perspective may look different? I think it's, I think, it, I think it will look different. I think there's no, there's no way around that, but I do believe that the one constant thing that will continue to be there is it's continually going to be about the relationships. It's going to be about the relationships with the speakers. It's going to be about the relationships with the buyers, the meeting planners, regardless of where people work, who they work, the structure they work in, people are going to hold meetings. They've been holding meetings and having speakers since the beginning of time. And I think it's going to continue to do so. Um, I think what budgets start to look like, what honorariums shift to, how contracts are done. I think all of that's going to change. The, 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 the inclusion of technology and AI into a lot of it, it's all going to change. But I, don't, I do believe that the core of this is going to be around relationships. It's going to be about how do I bring in someone who's going to rock the audience, who's going to be a home run, who's going to leave me with the end result that I'm looking for, and who can I trust to really, to really provide that, that kind of talent for us that can make it easy for me. And then on the speaking side, who can I trust to help meet my needs in my career and amplify the initiatives that I have and, and serve my needs. And it's going to be about the relationships. And as much as, as much as things change and as fast as things change, the, the core of it, I believe is going to be the same. Yeah, I think there's so much merit to what you said. Um, and it's funny, I start to brainstorm. Like, what, what can we change if we had an opportunity? And I don't know if you've ever thought about a crazy one. I'll share one. I'd love your feedback on it. So in many industries, look at advertising. Advertising used to be sold a certain way, and then it shifted to pay for performance. Keynotes are today, historically, have been purchased on a flat fee basis. Someone's fee is 50 grand or 30 grand or 175. Like that's the fee, the fee is the fee. Um, what about a sliding scale based on performance? Well, you know, like if someone said to me, hey, Josh, I know your fee is 35. How about this? We'll take a real-time survey using technology of the audience's satisfaction with your keynote. If you really perform, you can earn up to 50. If you underperform, you can, you'll drop down to 10 take it or leave it, I would take it a second. I'd love that, man. It'd be awesome. And so like, there's a massive economic, you know, business model shift that, that, that could, could rock the industry. Just that one idea. Curious. Number one, do you like that idea? But, but more importantly, do you have any other like wacko ideas that you think might be a, a step function shift in our, in our little cottage industry? Oh man, I have about a million of them, Josh. That's an, that's an interesting idea. I don't, I, you know, I think, I think it would be really interesting I'd love to see how, see how the application of that plays out. Um, man, I've had, there are so, I have so many that, you know, my, I have to preface them in meetings with my team. I'm like, okay, so this one's out there. This is one of those ideas, but, um, no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we, we, we've talked about things from even like, even during COVID when, when the language for recording language was a, was a major piece of the stumbling block going nowhere else in any other industry. Do we just charge a flat fee for this? If it's going to a hundred thousand eyeballs, it's going to be a different price than it's going to a million eyeballs and it's being for five eyeballs. Right. And so like when we think about what, you know, recording language and how long recording should last, I mean, should we be 
doing it like advertising on a CPM basis? Should, you know, should stuff mirror the way all other media is purchased or should it, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different things out there. There's a lot of different ideas of what could start to make differences, some significant changes in there. I mean, I won't give away the farm just yet, but I think there's some really, I think there's some really interesting ways to go about doing things. It's pretty, it's, it'll be pretty fun to see what technology does, how AI plays a role. Well, it's it's so refreshing, uh, Ryan, getting to know you better and, and becoming friends and seeing you know where, where you 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 provide not only respect from from where the bureau has been, but also a deep curiosity to where things are headed. And I think it's your willingness to 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 be humble about the success that the that the that the agency has had, and really with an eye to the future and an eye to reinvention, that gives me a tremendous amount of confidence that that WSB will continue to remain one of, if not the top. Uh, players in, in our industry. So uh, as we wrap up our conversation today, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for your leadership. Thanks for our friendship. And thanks for sharing so many great ideas uh, from, from, from regular to crazy with all of our guests today on Mike Drop. No, I, Josh, I just want to thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, thank you for your friendship. Thank you and your partners at Impact 11 for what you're doing for this speaking community. Um, I think it's amazing. I think what you guys are doing is awesome. You guys are providing really actionable, timely, valuable information to people at all different phases in their career um, that if they work at it, if they have the goods, it's, it's going to provide them every chance to be successful. And I think their interaction with bureaus and every, I just think it, what you guys are doing is really important as far as getting really good information out there in an industry that has been pretty disaggregated and fractured for a very long time. Thanks again. Wishing you all the best and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. A conversation with Ryan is always energizing and inspiring. But he made a few points today that will stay with me long after the mics are off. Number one, I really appreciate Ryan's holistic view of the speaking industry. As a bureau leader, it's easy to get lost in the weeds of the day-to-day needs of your roster, your team, and your contacts. But Ryan's ability to modulate between details and vision is a powerful model for success. Number two, I appreciated Ryan's humility. It would be easy for him to be cocky with a doctoral degree and being a professional baseball player and now leading the largest bureau on the planet. But instead, Ryan's humble, open-minded approach was heartening and a reminder for us all that keeping that beginner's mindset, regardless of our achievements, is crucial. And number three, Ryan shared his belief that both everything and nothing is going to change in the speaking industry. Factors like changing budgets and new technologies and AI will certainly cause disruption. But relationships are always going to drive how speeches are bought and sold. No doubt in my mind that Ryan's leadership will help WSB evolve and thrive as the business continues to change. While I wouldn't want to try for a base hit off of his fastball, he certainly pitched us some powerful wisdom today. Right down the center of the strike zone. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time on Mic Drop. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Mic Drop. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. 
If you love the show, please share it with your friends and don't forget to give us a five-star review. For show transcripts and show notes, visit micdroppodcast.com. I'm your host, Josh Linkner. Thanks so much for listening and here's to your next Mic Drop moment.